You're listening to Nursing Review Radio. James Griffin, Jim to friends and colleagues, was a paediatric nurse, an ex-ambulance officer, a volunteer, twice married, kids, a little one PC, but was well-liked. A moral citizen, some said. But Jim was accused of sexual assault and arrested for the abuse of a minor in 2019. This was just the tip of the iceberg, and the findings have rocked Tasmania and its institutions. This story is the subject of the new podcast, The Nurse, by Camille Bianchi. Camille, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Connor. So talk to us a bit about Jim. Jim himself. So, oh God, I got hundreds, um, by my estimation, of accounts of Jim from all different stages of his life, and they were really varied. What uh, the headline is, is that he was charged for offences related to child abuse, sexual abuse of children and creating child exploitation material. But if we go behind that person and who we now know him to be, he was very different in terms of the gym he presented to people. And if we're talking about the gym that people met on Ward 4K at Launceston General Hospital, uh, he was a star nurse. So I've had some of the most stark conversations uh, that I've had in investigating this podcast are with former patients. And no fewer than... um, Three of them have said to me, he's the reason they decided to eventually study nursing. Wow. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you, you said that they're already um, former patients. So let's dip straight into it. I mean, did he use his position as a nurse to groom people? So what we do know about Jim is that not only did he groom the kids in his care, he was a paediatric nurse on a paediatric ward for 20 years in Launceston. He groomed their families, and what I know about that area, having lived there and worked there, is there are a lot of uh, lower socioeconomic groups. There's a really stark disparity in wealth distribution across Tasmania, so you'll hear a lot about um, unemployment statistics there, uh, a lot of related issues, and that actually is really relevant here because some of those really vulnerable and marginalised communities have families where, uh, say, there aren't two parents in the picture. Typically, there aren't... um, you know, really on-the-ball, active, engaged parents that are going to call someone like that to account if they're, in, you know, noticing that someone's behaving really strangely with their child. So some of the worst stories I heard were former patients who grew up and they look back in hindsight and they say, look, I didn't have the best home life. No one was really looking out for me in the way that, you know, you normally would expect someone would look out for their kid and that's why I fell into the path of this abuser. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, to kind of, uh, you know, frame Jim again, he was, um, you know, like you say, he was a model citizen. Um, people really liked him. He was a little on PC, but, you know, he was quite charming. And, you know, he was kind of, it was often fobbed off as, oh, you know, that's just Jim. Um, and a lot of his, I was surprised um, that a lot of his behaviour seemed to be really out in the open. Um, tell us a bit about his trip to Gallipoli. Oh, goodness, this one. Um, so, Jim... Jim's trip to Gallipoli was with a a girl who ended up becoming the first person to lay charges against him. But many years before that, he would be seen in the company of this then uh, 11-year-old up until she was about 17-year-old girl. And, you know, on, on the hospital ward, she would come in. He would be in the company of her in the netball scene. There were um, there were a lot of questions raised I now know about. So in, in Parliament um, estimates in the other week in Tassie, 
I actually heard that being argued. So different people made reports and it was centred around this person. Uh, people were really troubled. So that was the, the context with which he took this young girl with him overseas without his own children, without his family. Um, he was married twice. I think at that point he may have separated from his second wife. I'm actually not sure. But I do know that there were a lot of people on the ward, certainly other nurses that were saying, you can't do that, that's inappropriate. And it was framed in a way that it was, you know, this culturally enriching experience. Uh, looking back at Anzac history, Jim, I, I actually found one of the first things I found when I Googled his name originally was this uh, article that said Gallipoli calling war hero's son. And he had this big article with a photo of him looking at photos of his dad who had been in line for a VC apparently before he, he died. Um, and that was really important to Jim, this Gallipoli, you know, this war history. And he absolutely used that to ingratiate himself and impress this girl. So it's only in hindsight you see how sinister it was. But even then, again, I get it. I can kind of see how that would be, you know, an attractive thing. So you offer a young person a trip overseas to Turkey, that's a big deal. And that's often beyond the means of many families. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you, you've touched on it there, you know, some colleagues raising slight concerns. And, you know, there's some some pretty awkward moments in the podcast of, you know, telling stories mm. or kind of anecdotes of um, colleagues kind of notice him carrying young children naked or, you know, young female um, patients naked, you know, places, um, you know, colleagues feeling like they just interrupted him in the in the middle of something, but without being able to quite catch him. Um, and, you know, without being too harsh on some of the, the nurses and health professionals at the hospital, um, you know, it seemed like they didn't really push the issue or, or, or am I wrong there? Well, you're not, you're not wrong because on the face of it, and certainly in my reporting, even you can tell the tone of it changes in the series because I, you don't know until you speak with more and more and more of these colleagues who knew what and when. So um, certainly from the outset, I was really concerned at the idea that so many of these people turned a blind eye. What later transpired, of course, was that they were complaining. They were raising issues that, um, you know, the complaints didn't, resolved satisfactorily to say the least. In some cases, there are reports of complaints were shredded uh, and allegedly were found in the waste paper basket on Ward 4K uh, in the early to mid-2000s in one um, memorable incident. But then there were others. So junior nurses came to me, and I'm talking people who were, say, fresh out of uni. They were coming out onto uh, Ward 4K, and they might have just seen a glimpse of him carry uh, a patient from a shower and when they retold those stories to me it's with the wisdom of hindsight it's with you know that professional grounding that they now have and they're horrified and I think we can't underestimate the trauma that this story uh, coming out has had on that ward I mean it's it's unreservedly the feedback is they're glad it's out but in terms of finding out what Jim was they are beside themselves because these are you know, nursing is a vocation, and especially nursing kids. Mm. They they love their jobs, and um, the guilt is extreme. Look, there's a place for guilt. I get it. And especially, I've had so much feedback from from nurses who are saying, "I'm in pediatric care. This would no, this would never, never happen." But something that I I respond to them with is, "You've got to understand the context, and the context of this culture in this hospital is very, very." particular to this region and this hospital Mm -hmm. and I am privy to some pretty extraordinary things going on behind the scenes and 
becomes a lot easier to understand how people can essentially be gaslit into being told things are okay. You know, um, it's it's a really troubling, uh, scary thing when you start to look at a lot of uh, what people tried to raise in terms of Jim Griffin and then some of the things like he was a union member, that was suggested to me as being one of the reasons, um, and it's not a, to say anything about the union, they'd be horrified, but mm-hmm. I mean, that was certainly from um, certain managers at the hospital, you know, they'd get in the ear of the complainant and say, do you really want to get the union involved? And, and things like that, they're so troubling because the outcome is hideous and it's life-ruining for a generation of kids. Yeah. But I don't know, it's complicated and it's a really worthwhile question to ask is, you know, who's responsible and at what point were these responsibilities, I suppose, not upheld? Mm-hmm. And I want to come back to with the effect it had on the hospital and then the institutions themselves. But, um, I mean, again, it, it's a really harrowing story. I mean, at, at one point, we find out now without giving too much away because obviously I want people to listen to it but you know he, he abuses a colleague's daughter um, and he, he was eventually caught what what were the circumstances that led to you know police finally getting a hold of this man mm. he actually abused two colleagues children which is horrific one of whom was Keely who I spoke with who was a delight and I'm so proud of her um, so the circumstances of his being investigated was one very brave young woman, uh, the then child he brought to Gallipoli. She she grew up and she was the catalyst for four other women to come forward. So she uh, isn't part of the podcast, but uh, she's a true hero. She's the reason that any of this happened, including now a commission inquiry that will hopefully protect another generation of kids. But yeah, so that complaint was really it that was when investigations could begin in earnest. And one of the troubling things, and I keep using that word troubling, but it is, it's all troubling, is that he was on the ward for two and a half months when she raised that complaint in May 2019. Police were investigating Jim. He retained his position caring for kids for two and a half months until he was eventually marched off the premises and lost his registration a week after that. And... People, you know, um, are interrogating that as we speak with with, um, the health minister, with the police minister. It's been the subject of estimate hearings in Tassie. That's a big deal. And I'm not privy to what normally happens in hospitals or indeed in criminal investigations. But Mm. is that scary? Yeah. And I mean, now that leads us to the, the hospital, the health department, the institutions themselves. I mean, the hospital itself uh, was consistently one of the worst performing in the nation. And you, you then you touched on the idea that, you know, maybe um, a lot of times complaints were made that were, were swept under the, the carpet. Um, you know, what does this say about the healthcare system in Tasmania? It's been put best to me by sources recently uh, for upcoming episodes that it's a fight for resources. And it's astounding when you hear that phrase, follow the money, how relevant that is in so many stories, mm. even in criminal ones. So when you look at the case of, of this, I'm starting to see patterns around money. I'm starting to see patterns around um, entitlements for those who perhaps toe the line in a way uh, that suits certain people. It's all very hierarchical and it seems very political. I've certainly seen a lot, seen a lot of accounts that um, both the Launceston General Hospital and the uh, Royal Hobart 
are very political place, places to be. And I have a lot of uh, family members that are doctors and nurses and things, and all hospitals are political, as your listeners will know. There's, there's you know, that's all plays into it. But when that culture becomes toxic, which is what I suspect, mm. and certainly what I what I hear from dozens and dozens of sources, is you start to create environments where predators can thrive at the, at the very worst end of it, but at the very um, at other end, just a lot of bullying and a lot of young staff in particular not being believed, uh, their complaints not being upheld. And I would say it's a slippery slope. And I, I don't want to extrapolate too much or go too far beyond my pay grade, but it's a pretty damning indictment on the culture, the fact that this happened. And then when I start to look at some of the peripheral issues around it and some of um, you know the different uh, roads I'm going down, it, it isn't good. It doesn't look good. I mean, worrying for me now, if I can uh, think about the the nurses who worked alongside Jim for a long, long time, who will be feeling guilt, but also they they're mourning the loss of someone who was a friend and a colleague, and and for all of the bad things that happened, that things that they've missed. Um, I would imagine um, morale is really low at the hospital for the nursing staff, but also, um, as you said in the podcast, they've kind of now you know. Jim's not allowed to he's you know Voldemort I think one person said um he's not allowed to be talked about anymore it's all been kind of hush hush there's no um aftercare for the nurses left behind oh yeah it's pretty devastating and I take I know it's not my place to take responsibility for it but in a way I do because it's just been such a profound trauma first the realization that you know, Jim was brought to the hospital and, and died in their intensive care ward uh, at the LGH. That was one trauma. The next was finding out what he was. And then, you know, a year later, the story that broke on the podcast that was re-traumatizing them again. And then in some cases, um, it is genuinely sa- safe to say a lot of them didn't know. They certainly have known since last year, but they didn't know what Jim was. And they lost a friend twice as you said mm. and it was Annette who described Voldemort and, and that kind of culture and um, I'm pretty heartbroken when I, I I hear about how it's been dealt with in the earlier stages and I know that that's improving really rapidly with the public scrutiny and I'm really grateful that the public has been so fabulous and the local media in Tasmania has been amazing um, in holding the health minister and the health department in particular to account over some of these issues because we need to ensure that these nurses are protected in particular because they are doing such an important job and the biggest tragedy of this would be a community, which I'm really scared has actually already happened, that doesn't trust taking their child in when they're sick. Mm-hmm. This is the main local hospital for a town that doesn't have an alternative. Yeah. I mean, in, in part due to your reporting, this there is now, you know, and you mentioned it earlier, there's there's going to be a state royal commission into sexual abuse in institutions, and I think this is going to be folded in as part of it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, trust must be pretty low across the board in Tasmania. Um, do the parents, you know, who you know had children in the, in the hospital during Jim's, you know, long tenure, do, they, have they all been notified as a matter of fact, like anyone who's ever gone through that? They have now by virtue of the press coverage. Yeah. So, and I know that there, there had been a more concerted effort by the hospital. I'm, it's safe to say I'm very unimpressed with the original. So don't forget that prior to the podcast being out in, I think it was the 13th of October, this story broke, and we did subsequent coverage um, by News Corp, actually, with Nina Fennell, who's amazing. Mm-hmm. That was 
the catalyst for a lot of kind of action, I suppose. But I'll be I'll be frank. There wasn't community consultation before that. Parliament wasn't notified before that. They had a year. Um, that's actually been brought up by the Labor and Greens parties in um, estimates as well. Why wasn't there any kind of community consultation for those many, many parents and families? And why on earth did it take a podcast and newspaper headlines to make that happen? Um, so I'm confident now, and I know that in the case of the child exploitation material, the photos, that those families have been notified. That's certainly been... Um, a statement that's been released by various various departments. I have no reason to believe that's not true. So I suppose finally that is something. But I had had so many families come to me uh, via, you know, text, emails, mostly emails, calls, sobbing down the phone, um, rightly beside themselves because they had no idea and they found out in the press Mm-hmm. And they were asking me, what, you know, do you know if he hurt my daughter? Do you know if he hurt my daughter? And I could never answer. And it's a, it's a terrible thing mm-hmm. to have to have a, a community find out that way because this is thousands and thousands of children that were exposed to him. And I, I don't want to catastrophize. I don't, do I think all of them were harmed? No, mm-hmm. not at all. Yeah. But even within the anecdotes that some were telling me, my heart sank, and I'm not qualified to counsel. I'm certainly not um, privy to what actually happened in those those moments when the child was in care. But it's devastating, and it seems to have, it seems to be that he was prolific in his in being a predator. And now I know this is not your job. I'm going to ask your opinion, um, and I only ask because of your relationship now with a lot of the the families. I mean, what's the ideal outcome now that this has kind of been brought to light? Um, what yeah. can the government do to, in some way, you know, you know, give some recompense or you know, some, I don't know. Such a good question because I wondered that too. So, um, I was. You know, I go back to what the nursing union said is sunlight is the best disinfectant. And I feel that way. And that's obviously why we do the job we do, because, you know, we're telling stories. But uh, families tell me that and and former patients that they want a meaningful apology. So um, if you remember, Julia Gillard led the apology, or rather that happened, I think, once she'd already been posted, I can't recall. But certainly one of the recommendations from the um, Australia-wide Royal Commission into, into institutional responses to childhood sexual abuse was an apology, um, you know, for an entire generation that had their childhood stolen from them. And I know that that's something that people brought to my attention as something they want. I think that would be uh, that would be important. It would be really important redress. So um, continuation of the redress scheme, which which already exists down there, but certainly um, uh, more streamlined processes. So. Redress can take years, and there's a lot of faffing with documents. I have my own views because I'm a cynic as to why there is a bit of faffing with trying to get people's documents as to their own abuse. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be the case. So whatever it is, whether it's a sinister reason or not, the simple case is it's not good enough. Uh, you shouldn't have trouble getting your own records and go to great expense and having to hire a lawyer and get out of pocket to find out what happened to you when you were a child. It's just not on. Um, so... Yeah, there's, there's a, a few red tape things that, that need to be ironed over, but acknowledgement, apology, uh, redress where it's due and, and asked for, and I think that's the best we can hope for. 
I mean, it's it's a horrific story, but um, you know, you've done a great job, and I think it's really the um, a great example of the power of journalism. And um, you've done it all on your own back and without the backing of um, any major media organisation. So um, yeah, thanks very much f- for that, Camille. And um, where can people listen? Thanks, it's been tough. <laughs> it's good. I still I still love it. It's um it's a hard slog, but it's worth it. Um, so people can listen on Apple Podcasts. They can listen on the Spotify app. Uh, on your laptop, if you go to Acast, I think if you just Google The Nurse Podcast, that's a pretty good bet. But um, I, I'm sure I owe you um, a thank you because a lot of listeners accidentally started listening to this awful story about predators when they meant to get info about nursing. <laughs> so <laughs> I, um, I, I scored well with that name. So it, it's actually really wonderful how many listeners I've got who are nurses and are from the medical community. It seems to be a, a theme yeah. because... You know, they've been calling me out when I've mispronounced things. And I think I said SLRS instead of SRLS. And all your listeners would grit their teeth. So it's a, <laughs> I'm it's a happy learning to be process. Held to account. Well, like you say, the, the hospital mentioned, so. which I'm not going to attempt to say now again for the second time, but um, I'll have some editing to do to clean that up. But um, thank you very much for joining us, Camille. And yeah, good luck with season two and, and your you know future reporting. Oh, no worries. But I should say one thing that I didn't say before, which is. When you asked about the outcome they all want, the most important thing that they've all said to me across, you know, whether it be parliamentarians, um, anybody who's spoken to me, survivors, they don't want this to happen to anyone else. And just by you doing this interview, just by people listening, the pressure that I have already seen, I've already seen the fruits of that pressure, um, you know, when you have a big audience and an engaged audience and everybody is doing their bit in this and making sure this doesn't happen again so mm-hmm. well if, yeah. a, if anyone hadn't heard of your podcast before they listen to this um and if anyone knows anything or you know anyone wants to see any change um you know get in touch with camille or, or your local mp in tasmania or your union or whatever and um yeah just um yeah that sunlight is the best uh, disinfectant as you said yeah so the i have an encrypted email um if anyone's really uncomfortable um so it's the nurse podcast at protonmail.com and that's just an extra layer layer of assurance and security for anyone that sends anything to me um and yeah you can catch me there and thanks connor it's been a pleasure (laughs) thank you very much